Yes, well, I, do, I can only apologise for the uh, minor clerical uh, uh, oversight which has caused me to be in this position two weeks in a row. <coughs> um, I have three pages of notes. Um, anything less than five minutes per page and you'll be winning. That was another joke. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you um, for praying for me, uh, Tracy, and referring to me as Brother Nigel, because um, I think it's really important that, again, we're in this together. Um, I haven't preached an awful lot, um, so it's a different context to be preaching in front of um, good people like yourselves than it is to be leading groups or small groups in different, in different places. <clears throat> so I want to just preface what I'm going to say today with um, that I see you all as brothers and sisters and um, that I would appreciate any constructive <laughs> uh, critique and feedback that you feel that you want to give. I, I you know, really have appreciated encouragement, yeah, lots of encouragement. People, and it's not an easy place to be here. Uh, it's not an easy pl place to prepare uh, and make sure or think you're getting things right. So helpful and constructive critique from brothers and sisters is very, very welcome. Uh, and it's been very interesting that from yesterday you brought the picture of the fish because today we are looking at John chapter 21. We're, we've been following over the last few weeks with the exception of last week. Um, the people who encountered Jesus following the resurrection, that miraculous, earth-changing, earth-shattering event, which was the resurrection. And sometimes we perhaps diminish the meaning and the, the strength and the power of that uh, as time goes on and as we celebrate Easter every year. You know, we come back to that point, but we should never diminish the immense meaning and power of that event. So we've been following the events uh, where Jesus has encountered people since um, the resurrection. So if you've got a Bible, or perhaps, well there are some Bibles on the, on the side if you'd like to have a hard copy of the Bible, you obviously, many of you will have a device on which you can read your preferred version. I'm reading from the New International Version. And if you would uh, allow me, I will read the first part of what we're going to discuss today. And it's, the, uh, it's chapter 21 of John, the Gospel of John. John chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. May the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord. Amen. It's entitled, the Jesus and the Miraculous Catch of Fish. You might be familiar with the story. <coughs> Afterwards, after what? Quite a bit went on before, but Jesus, being appearing to his disciples, appeared to Thomas. After all these things, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, Galilee. 
It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. It was traditional for those fishermen to fish at night. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered from a long way away. So he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Um, I don't know <clears throat> how you view this um, passage, but I've found it a very strange passage to prepare to preach on. Um, for one thing, it's got breakfast in it, the word breakfast, and that doesn't appear in our concordance anymore. That's probably the only time the word breakfast appears in the whole Bible, isn't it? Talk about food, they talk about eating, they talk about meals, they talk about the Last Supper, but I've never heard breakfast mentioned. Perhaps you can um, put me right on that. I did look. <laughs> so I just find it really strange. And I've always wondered, well, I know that he's... Lord of all and omnipotent and he created everything but why or how did Jesus sit on the beach with a fire ready going and the fish already on it and the bread you know I know he's he can do everything that's fine but but just the question my question runs about why why is this little scene going on on the shore um and I'm participation here okay I need you to help me out a little bit uh, because I think that to see Jesus cooking was probably a little bit out of the expected norm of, of his culture. So I want you, please, to shout out some examples of situations where Jesus acted against the cultural norm of his time. 
Well, I've already got one in the front here. No. Washing feet. Washing feet. A servant's job. Yep. Talking to the Samaritan woman. Uh, uh, talking to the Samaritan Bang on, I've got that one. You did! <laughs> Marvellous. Challenging religious authority at the time. Chal challenging religious authority at the time, yes. Touching lepers. Healing and touching lepers, yeah, absolutely. Hanging out with tax collectors. Hanging out with tax collectors, yep. Yeah. Yep. I didn't give an exhaustive list, but you've already got several more than I've got here. Uh, any, any more for any more? Yeah, turning the tables in the temple, of all things, yeah, you know, yeah. Healing on the Sabbath. Healing on the Sabbath, yeah. And I had another one where he let his disciples gather grain to eat on the Sabbath while they were walking through the fields, and that was a bit of a, he was picked up on that, for that, yeah. Calling God his father. Calling God his father, that's a big one, <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's enough, thank you. Super. <laughs> Brilliant, we'd be here all day otherwise. Absolutely though. So I just see this as another, another time where Jesus does something completely unexpected, completely out of the norm. So he's cooking these fish over an open fire on the beach. And it's, our title today is Fish for Breakfast. But it's quite a serious situation going on here because a poor night's fishing for these chaps was more than a disappointment. It's their livelihood. You know, there's six or seven of them on the boat. It, it lists them all here. They all needed to take food and uh, take things home for their family, be able to sell, this, uh, sell their catch and to be able to provide for their families. It's their livelihood. In those days, there would have been self-employment with no social safety net it's work successfully or starve pretty well so what is the point of this story well personally as i've read it reread it cross-referenced it and done all my thinking about it <clears throat> i think the fishing and the disappointment and the act of obedience, that's the verse 6 there. If we refer to verse 6, it says, uh, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable. They did it straight away. And I referred back to uh, that little um, story in Luke where Jesus was first calling his disciples. And he put out, just off the shore, he was talking to the crowd uh, and and it got, they got so many that he pushed off, out off the shore, but he sat in this boat, Peter's boat, and he said, let your nets down. And they said, oh, we've been fishing all night, we've got nothing, Lord. How, you know, how, how do you think we're going to catch anything now? Just do it, Peter. <laughs> but there was a questioning there of Jesus' uh, order, of Jesus' request. But this time, there is no such question. Down the net goes, and it comes out full. More than full. So the disappointment of the act of obedience which resulted in these fish. The recognition of who the stranger on the shore was. They're just, I think, a preamble to what happens next. 
among this group of close friends. I would even call them companions. They've been together for all those years, uh, all those well, short amount of time, but, but they, they've become so close and bonded with their rabbi. So it seems they had learned something of obedience. But I think uh, the whole point, if we're not careful, we miss. Yes, it's a miracle. Yes, there's provision. Yes, there's a haul of fish which is, is bountiful. It's more. It's abundant. It's far more than they've ever seen probably. But I'm not sure that is the main point of what John is noting and drawing us to notice here. It's what comes next. This intimate time. And if I just read the next section, which it all follows on. And I can just imagine the scene, perhaps. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, this is my poetic license here. I'm not, um, not saying this is biblical or scriptural. But it, it seems to me that Jesus has, is now has spent some time with, with them all. They've, they've eaten some breakfast together. And it just seems to me as I read on that perhaps Jesus takes Peter because he wants to tell him something very significant. And it, he may not have done it in the group. He may have perhaps walked a little way along the beach with Peter, perhaps. This is what I read into it. Excuse me. When they had finished eating, uh, verse 15... Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is a very intimate conversation now. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. It's a pretty significant little conversation they've had here. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus said, answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, 
If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. So John is talking about himself here. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Jesus reveals himself to his close followers, the faithful, those who didn't desert him at the darkest time, when everything physically had seemed lost, including the promised kingdom. Israel, as you know, was expecting somebody who would release them from the uh, oppression and the um, occupation of the Roman army. We've all heard the phrase and perhaps sung the song, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Yes, meek, gentle, yes, but not mild. And it's the way that Jesus um, speaks, interacts with Peter at this time, which is gentle. almost like there was a we talk about the elephant in the room don't we and Peter would have been probably pretty ashamed of the way he felt following the uh, three time denial foretold by Jesus and he actually you know when, when that happened he must have absolutely felt worthless felt like he'd let his master his rabbi down completely wouldn't admit to being a follower of him. But Jesus is intentional about acknowledging that elephant on the beach, perhaps. He's willing to restore Peter. It's that title there, Jesus reinstates Peter. Peter's fall from grace, yet Jesus is willing to restore in a gentle and a graceful way. What does Jesus do? What does he, he sows seeds. What of? Encouragement? Forgiveness? A belief in a purpose? He obviously is talking about what will happen to Peter on the beach here. He's, he's revealing some things about this, about his future. Perhaps he's all of those things, encouragement, forgiveness, Belief in his purpose, but also the gravity of the cost of being a sold-out disciple of the resurrected, omnipotent Lord of glory. So, is there a place where we fit in this unfolding story? I hope the right answer is yes. It's clearly the beginning or the launch of a new chapter of this infant movement. But what about you and me uh, in this chapter of the church, established at it as it is? You know, we've come a few thousand years uh, and we've got used to the way that we celebrate our church year, our calendar. 
It seems as though Peter attempts to shift the focus, doesn't he, onto this disciple whom Jesus loves. It's interesting to actually look at the places where that disciple pops up. Uh, And he's often with Mary. He's at the the foot of the cross. And and, and Jesus says uh, to his mother, here's your son, look after him. Here's your mother, look after her. There's a few places where this disciple whom Jesus loves pops up. The other, another one is where uh, Mary, um, Mary Magdalene goes back to the disciples and said, the Lord's gone, he's gone, the tomb's open, he's gone. And Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved run off to, to, to actually investigate this. And the, the other disciple gets there first. Uh, yeah, he outruns Peter and gets there first. So this, this guy pops up in various places and now we see that he, he brings us this very very specific and detailed account it's almost like he's, it's consummate reporting isn't it who, what, when and where even down to the number of fish which we didn't really need but it's a pretty significant catch so conclusion Um, I'm going to give us three lessons in our conclusion today B, O and B right, easy can you say that, B, O, B B, O, B, Bob either way the first B is believe there is no doubt that another miracle has taken place again this third event that Jesus turns up with his disciples, proof again that it is Jesus The Lord is risen indeed. Back once again with the renegade master. To quote a great DJ. So believe. The second one is O. Obey. The obedience of the tired fisherman resulted in extravagant blessing. And I know that perhaps many of us struggle with obedience Perhaps we struggle with, oh, is God really telling me to do that? Uh, should I really do that? Is that little voice inside me? Oh, I'll push that to one side. But uh, the obedience of those fishermen resulted in something absolutely amazing, above and beyond whatever they'd experienced before, I would imagine. Believe, obey, and number three is bless. As you have been blessed, so bless others. Freely you have received, freely give. That's not just in our physical uh, blessings, in our providence, in, in the things that God gives us, which we acknowledge every time we bring our offerings to God. There's other things. Freely we've received salvation. How do we freely give that? And it's a challenge to myself as well. How willing and how ready am I to give away what Christ has given me Luke 6.38 give be generous give a good measure and God will return to you a good measure pressed down shaken together and running over let's pray
Lord, may the power of your word speak to us. May it move us. May it touch us in the deepest parts of our spirit and our being. Because in you, we live and breathe and have our being. We do thank you, Lord, for the accounts of the miracles that you performed. And as we began the service today, we said, do we still expect miracles? Yes, Lord, we expect. Your word is alive. Your spirit is active. Come, Holy Spirit, in this gathering today. And may we take you to a world, to people who are broken, and a world that needs salvation. Freely we have received, and freely we desire to give. May we bless you today and through the rest of this week. In your name, amen. Thank you.